2: With a tear in my eye, with a tear in my eye, I can't believe we've come to the end of this journey yet, and still here we are. Greetings and salutations, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Pod is War, special edition. My name is Christopher Platt, Mr. Velvet Pipes. As always, I'm joined by the commissioner, PC Tunney, and my brother from another mother, Mr. Ray Cash, we're breaking down the docuseries that just ended on ESPN, the night previous the last dance talking about the last I mean the, the focus was the 98 season the last season that everybody was together but everybody watched y'all know they jumped around in the timeline and everything and gentlemen number one how are you and number two I'm sad that this docu-series has come to an end man for the last what five weeks this has defined our Sunday evenings and Monday afternoons with, so with a tear in your eye with a tear in my eye woo!
3: that's my line
2: that's my line. <laughs> well, it's Ric Flair's line, but go on.
3: <laughs> if you know, Jay Lethal. Shout out to that. That's the greatest promo ever. Uh, I'm good. I'm I'm chilling. How you doing?
2: Can't complain, man. Can't complain. Even though I started this whole thing complaining, but that's neither here nor there, Mister Tunney?
4: I'll I'll be honest with you. You talk about a tear in your eye and things of that nature. I did get kind of sad as I got towards the end of episode ten, right? So I did my usual thing. I. I got drunk during the day and fell asleep early so I woke up at 11 o'clock at night and I decided to watch The Last Dance and you know I'm watching the first one and it went by really quick and then the second one's on and I'm like it's starting I'm like oh man this is the last one and I'm like okay and then I'm like hitting fast forward to get through the tiny bit of commercials they had which was awesome there was such limited commercials throughout this thing and there's about the 42 minute mark there was a commercial fast and I'm like there's less than 20 minutes left of this thing. I've never ever watched this for the first time ever again. Right. And as much as there's been so many different documentaries on wrestling, like Ric Flair and Andre the giant and things of that nature that have been really big, like documentaries as far as mainstream uh, pop culture. Yeah. Well, that's happening right now, but I'm talking about HBO did Andre the giant, right? ESPN did Ric Flair and, I thought they did good job, but for those ones, I always came away with, and, and not, to, not to be that guy, but, like, I knew all that already, right? Mm-hmm. Um, here, it's so different because you get Jordan's opinion. You get to see Jordan react to what other people say. You get to have him reflect on everything that happened and let himself become, you know, a, a different man, basically, from who he used to be and reflect back on what happened to him. And they always say the end of the end of this thing is how hard it was to be Michael Jordan. So my first question to you guys is: after having watched this entire thing, is that the big takeaway that you have from it? Is that it's it was really hard for him to be Michael Jordan, and that's what makes it so spectacular with what he did. Go ahead, Ray. Um.
3: So of course it's hard to be Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan had and. Forgive me for the analogy I'm going to use, but you'll understand why. Michael Jordan had a Kim Kardashian-esque amount of fame at a time when the only time you saw people were when they were on your television set. He was the most famous person in the world at that point. Like, no social, no social media. You didn't see him at McDonald. Like, literally, you saw him on games. And if, you, if he happened to be in your city, maybe you saw the car. And he was the most popular person in the world. So, yes, it was not easy being Michael Jordan. But the takeaway to me was that those, and maybe it's, the, it's I'm sure it's part, partly is the error, but what they went through as a championship team in all six seasons, but as, in totality, the mental fortitude that those guys had to have, Phil and Michael and scotty up top, up front but the th- Dennis Rodman leaving practices in the middle of the finals to go hit DDP in, in the back with a chair.
0: <laughs> Fuck yeah.
3: Scotty, Scotty Pippen can't play because his back messed up or Whoa. because Tony Kukoc got the last shot or whatever it is. Like, Michael hitting Steve Curry in the face with, with, you know, knocking him out with a punch and then don't have his number, so he has to call the team to get his number to apologize. Like, the things they went uh, before the season starts after they've won five titles – the general manager says, you know what, Phil, if you go A2, and know you're not coming back. Like, all of the adversity, the mental fortitude it took for them to say, screw that, we're just going to win. And we're going to win unlike any other team since the 60 Celtics have done. It's, it's, it's mesmerizing.
4: Before you go, Platt, and I really want you to answer that question, your biggest takeaway from this entire thing, but I don't want to forget to, like, real quickly touch on – the fact that Michael Jordan and Steve Kerr never, like, were able to get together and have a conversation about their fathers. Because the way they lost their fathers, both of them, you think that they could have, like, helped each other so much. And we're going to get to Jordan and, and you know, how he had a second kind of father figure down the road. But I just want to, if you folks, if you don't know, if you're listening to this podcast and you maybe didn't watch or you missed the Steve Kerr part, go Read the story about Steve Kerr's father. It's it's tragic. It's, it's movie-esque almost, if you think about mm-hmm.
2: it. it. It really is. Uh, my biggest takeaway from this whole docuseries is how badly I want a 10-part docuseries on the life and times of Slim Boulder. Like, that's just a fascinating thought. <laughs> this, part. Is where this <laughs> was going. Wow, I'm going to go get a beer. I can I can't. But, <laughs> Slim um, Boulder. Know. The, but one of the things that, that that's so interesting about this thing, and, and I think one of the reasons why it captivated all of us was, number one, it came along at a time where we're all sitting at the house, we're all, all missing sports to some degree. And, you know, people looked at this, and it's been covered as if it was a sport. Like, everybody was watching it. It did gangbuster numbers, and everybody's talking about this as if it's an actual sport. Plus the access that we had to Michael Jordan, because he's got to become a recluse in the past, what? 10, 15 years, how many times have you actually sat down and heard Michael Jordan actually say something? So that access was fascinating. Honestly, my biggest takeaway from the whole docu-series is, and this is something that I'm I'm sure all three of us had talked about at some particular point in time. I go back, I've always gone back and forth between who the GOAT is. Is it LeBron? Is it Jordan? You can make a solid case for LeBron, but I think that this series really demonstrated and, solidified the fact that at least in my lifetime, Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player that I ever got the pleasure to see play. And it's not just his ability. I mean, physically, he's the perfect specimen. You know, if you were to draw up a basketball player, he'd be six, six, he'd be fundamentally sound. He'd be hella athletic. Like he, he, he checks all the boxes and just the mental, just his mental focus and we're going to get to this momentarily because you know that last couple of runs those last titles man they were literally running on fumes and he just refused to lose so that's my biggest takeaway and it'll be interesting in 15 years when we go through the uh, the lebron documentary as well
3: can i say ha 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 ha, ha get a three-point shot can i say this real quick before we move on
4: he said prototype up uh, the guy though Body wise, no, you, body wise, you want that body. Now, if he gets a three, y'all fucked. Everybody fucked. No, okay.
3: we're talking about Giannis. Yes,
4: yes LeBron it, was sorry. like the.
3: You, no, LeBron he, was kind of like the upgrade. Giannis is the upgrade to LeBron. You're absolutely right. Don't from
2: worry, from the my time step. it's three. He'll be in Miami, so you don't even have to worry about it. Huh? <laughs> Miami or New York, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> just just real quick, it's a real
4: quick. I'll always have legit. his All Star jersey as a buck.
3: <laughs> you guys know I'm a LeBron stan. I love LeBron. I I I go to church at the house of at the house of James. I all that. Watching this documentary and reliving these things that I lived through but didn't remember the way that I saw it. It was represented to me. <sighs> Ain't nobody ever touching Jordan dog. And 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 now. LeBron will be a more accomplished, have the more accomplished career, because by the time he, by the time he's over, he's gonna lead the league. He's gonna lead the lead. I get yeah, he's that. gonna
2: be first in points, top five in, in assists, points,
3: probably first in assists. He's yeah, already he's yeah. already like number seven or eight. Yeah, he's literally. gonna be in the top ten and probably rebounds. He's gonna, like he'll probably hit two or three more finals. He's gonna mm-hmm. be have a more accomplished career. I didn't say he's a more big. I didn't say he's a better winner. But a more accomplished career than 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 uh then we're talking twenty, twenty-one years and the entire time being an all pro and all, like that's that's just stupid. But nobody will ever be better. I mean, maybe when our kids have kids and they're playing on the moon with Elon Musk shooting everybody up there.
4: You can jump then. you can jump really high on the moon.
3: That's my point. So like the, the rim's rim's gotta be like fifty feet instead of ten. Ooh. But other than that, <laughs> other than that, nobody touching Jordan. Dog, and that hurts me hurts.
2: So my my second biggest takeaway from this, and I, I want to get you guys' opinion on this, because this is something that I've been thinking about watching this docuseries the whole time. You know, it's weird. We assign this weird virtue to winning. And winning at all costs. And I don't know, maybe this is a, a symptom of capitalism. I, I don't know. I'm still kind of working through this thought in my head. But we oddly and weirdly, we attribute some sort of virtue to winning and we equate winning with somehow maturing and developing as a person and it somehow makes you a better person. But then simultaneously on the other end, we'll criticize and ridicule a guy like David Robinson and say, well, well, he didn't win because he was too nice of a guy. And I don't even really know where I'm going with this thought, but it's just something that is is just been in my head watching this and watching how Jordan pushed his teammates. And there's different ways to go about it. And there's no right way or wrong way. He was in your face like a can of mace. LeBron's a little more passive aggressive in his leadership, which I don't like that either. I, I don't know if there's a right way or a wrong way, but I've just, this thought has just been with me this whole time. And I don't even know what I'm trying to say, gentlemen. I'll it's tell you what you're trying I've to been say. Holding
4: I'll tell you what you're trying to say. Who writes the history books?
2: Uh, Touche, the, yeah. the
4: winners.
3: Yeah. The victors the, the spoils. Yeah, I mean, yeah. especially
4: when it comes to sports for me, I am so competitive, like to the point where some people really don't want to do some certain things with me. Um, but it's just, it's, it's who you are when you, when you do something for so long, like I've been playing a form of baseball since I was like, like an organized form of baseball since I was five years old. So that's for 34 years, I've been playing some form of organized baseball. Right. And it's like when I go out there and it's in a league or a tournament where it's, we could be playing for cash. We could be playing to get into a playoff. We could be in a playoff game. I'm out there giving it everything I got. And if the guy next to me is not pulling his weight, I'm going to let his ass fucking know, like not like not that I'm Michael Jordan or anything, but I see a lot of myself in Michael Jordan mm-hmm. in being like, hey, if we're going to do this, let's fucking do it the right way. Otherwise, why are we here? Right. Then otherwise we might as well just get together on Saturday and have a picnic at the park and lob the ball in and shoot a couple hoops. But if I'm going to get together and we're going to do something and we're going to make it a, a, a standings and a league and everything, we're going to go out there and we're going to work our asses off because winning's and- fun. Winning's fun. Winning cures
3: all. Well, winning is necessary if you're that competitive. And and to your point about David Robinson, I know that's one person you were mentioning. Um, competitive fire and being nice don't have to be mutually exclusive. One of the one of the preeminent uh, one of the preeminent winners of our generation is Magic Johnson, and he's by by and far one of the nicest human beings you'll ever meet. But He pushed he, his teammates he, to he knock your face out. He knocked your face out. He, mm-hmm. got, he got his coach fired. I think there's, there's, a, there's a big difference between being nice and, and not having a competitive fire. When David Robinson was nice, and he wanted to win, but he didn't seem to show, and this is all conjecture, he didn't seem to show the same competitive fire that a lot of his compatriots showed, that a guy like Hakeem or a guy like Shaq, like they wanted to win so badly that they would literally do whatever it took to dominate the game. When People get beat all the time, but the way Hakeem Olajuwon dominated David Robinson in 94, he treated him like a dog. (laughs) The
4: year David Robinson was MVP. Right, but how many titles does Olajuwon have? Two. And how many titles does David Robinson have? Did he get a second one in 2003?
3: I don't remember. I don't he know if he was on that team. Well, no, he, was on he, was team. He, he was carried in. He was
2: carried in both of his uh, his uh, finals. But yeah, he I don't... contributed in '99. He was a major okay. contributor in '99. That's fair. That's fair. But in
3: 2003,
2: he go was back Robert and Mary. look at the stats. Go
4: look. At, go back and look at the stats from the playoffs.
2: It's just weird, mm-hmm, man. Because it, it, it's just weird because you see, even you know, with talking to his former teammates and whatnot, it you know, it's like okay, well, yeah, he fucked my wife, but in hindsight. Yeah, Jordan fucked my wife, but that was the kick in the butt I needed to get myself in gear and focus. And who who, who did did he do that to?
4: (laughs) Who did he do that to?
2: Copperell, probably. (laughs) No. Come on. You know what I'm saying, man. What is wrong with you? I'm using hyperbole to make a statement, man. It's, you know, you know what I'm saying. It's, it's just, it's, and I don't have an answer, man. It's just a, it's an interesting dynamic, and it's an interesting view into not just the psyche of winners, but our psyche as well.
3: It's something to be said for a person so domineering, that is so dominant, so passionate, and s- such a force of nature in their given or chosen profession, that. Being around them almost by virtue forces you to acquiesce to their same thought process, and there are very few people like that, right? Jordan is a, a, literally a force of nature, to the to the point where you said people were. Jeb Bushler said it. We were terrified of him, but that made sure we didn't mess up on the court because we knew we knew he. What was the joke? Uh, and uh, what was it in the third or fourth episode that if Horace Grant had a bad game, he would take this, he wouldn't let him eat a drink. <laughs> Horace Grant was a borderline all star, right? Like, come on, dog, you know, force of nature, man.
2: Touche, touche. And I mean, to be honest with you guys, man, I could spend an hour or two talking about this topic because I think yeah. it's fascinating, but we got a lot to get to. PC Tunney has been gracious enough to. Out, give us an outline so game
4: four of the sweep of the finals in 2003 over the new jersey nets david robinson 13 points 17 rebounds
3: question for you sir
4: no that's the Legit- end of this conversation i will edit this if <laughs> yeah. you make me look yeah, bad fun. no i'm just kidding i'm messing i'm messing i'm messing hey david robinson was my favorite player go ahead uh, okay. I'm, I'm, no this is david robinson i love I'm from, I'm from houston akimo is I, better I, than david robinson i'm
3: not trying I, I, to I, I, better than every center except for kareem in my opinion but that's fair it, no
2: and yeah. russell.
4: russell
2: maybe but, but, not, but not no no but we, uh, we, we we're not gonna Shaq. go down that rabbit hole oh you know, no I, I, that's I, tough because, because
4: that he schooled him those are really sorry I, I,
2: no, I didn't, I didn't say all that to shit on David Robinson whatsoever. He's a Hall of Fame player and probably one of the 50 greatest to ever do it. I, I, was, I, I wasn't saying that to shit on him whatsoever. I was just trying to I, – really, I was just trying to flesh out a, a thought that I've been mulling with this entire time that I've been watching this docuseries. That's all.
3: Sure. I, just real quick about 2003. Name me the Nets power forward and center that year.
2: Kenyon Martin, and who was the center? Keith Van Horn, I think.
3: No, Kenyon was... Oh, yeah. Was Kenyon, it a, was a, Kenyon was the four. All six foot eight of Kenyon Martin. Uh-huh. Oh, he's pretty oh, wide. Lord. He was
2: good, though. Who was their center? Was it, what, Jason,
3: Williams went on, Jason Williams was in jail by then, right? Jason Williams didn't play for the, the finals year. Was it Dikembe? Was Dikembe there at the time?
2: Oh, but I you want not
3: know. Point, right? You're talking about 17 uh, I'll rebounds? Tell you. They had no gigs. I'll tell
2: you. That's was on the team. And when he says that, I'm gonna be like, yeah, of course. It was Jason I'm...
4: it was Jason Collins. Ah.
2: Uh, <laughs> they also had to
4: give him a tumble. They had Rodney Rogers. Rodney yeah, Rogers. So. Dude, he dominated six, Brian Scalabrini. What more can you ask for? That's Hall of Fame shit right, right there. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> play the cards
3: the they come to you, dog.
4: <laughs> Nets went to the finals back to back years there. So i
3: Amazing feat to go from well trash to nothing because of one player
4: that speaks yeah. to Jason Kidd and Kenya Martin was really good at the time. I mean, it that team was, was he was the MVP of that team, but Jason Kidd was at the top of his game at the time. And you have a really good Richard Jefferson and Kerry Kittles, so
2: hey yeah. man, don't sleep on Keith Van Horn, though. He had a decent run, yeah, Harris. He wasn't on, uh, yeah, Harris, yeah. he wasn't on yeah. the 2003. team. He wasn't, on the he wasn't on the 2003.
4: He uh, wasn't on the 2003 playoff team. He was oh. in.
3: He was in Dallas was in, at the time, or Milwaukee. Oh, okay. One of the two.
4: Okay, fair enough.
3: Kevin right. Horn was nice, though. Yeah, yeah, he, he had a nice little run. Kevin Horn gave you buckets.
4: Since we went off the track a little bit, but that could be a preview of what's to come. Considering the three of us really enjoy sports, uh, so you know, folks, if, if you're enjoying, there may be more to come. I, I don't know. We think so, but. Let's uh, let's pause for the cause and we'll come back and we'll do all things parts nine and ten of the last dance. Why should you visit
2: thechairshot.com? Thechairshot.com is your home for hard-hitting reviews, news, opinion, and analysis with attitude. Why? Because you're smarter than the average fan. Thechairshot.com. Always use your head.
3: TheChairShot.com.
2: Always use your head. Just real quick, make sure you all use your heads and go to Pro Wrestling Tees forward slash TheChairShot. And pick up an official ChairShot t-shirt. If you enjoy the content that we provide on a day-in and day-out basis, I'm talking about ChairShot Radio, The Greg DeMarco Show, Around the Blocks with Mike Knox, Outsider's Edge, Bandwagon Nerds, DWI, Pod is war all mags pod and many many others and the news, reviews, and analysis with attitude. Make sure we can continue to do that. I'm gonna paraphrase PPS here, man. We do this and bring this to you because of viewers like you. So we need a little bit of help. Go to Pro Wrestling Tees forward slash the dot com and pick up an official like a referee's whistle chair shot t-shirt. Please and thank you. Thank you and please. Remember the chairshot.com? We're not just a website. We're a movement, folks.
4: Wow, well said. Well said. This guy is just a walking promo over there. Mr. Velvet Pipes, everybody. Take a minute to reflect on that. Well, not a minute.
2: We don't oh, have sh- a minute. Sh- shout out to the Miranda show as well and shout out to keeping it 100 with Conan, man, which shouted us out on this past week's episode. This inferno put the chair shot over. Indeed. And to know. Go ahead, Ray. I was going to say shout-out to
3: Badlands, my boy Max. Max Shout-out to Towers. Badlands, yes, yes.
4: So, folks, the other thing that's going on over at the chair shot is there is another branch that's happening that's, that's kind of brand new, and it's going to kind of come from the, the 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 side of bandwagon nerds, and Mitchell's got his own uh, wrestling thing going on as well. Um, I think he's using Fire Pro. I don't know. Have you guys checked that out, the – the fantasy wrestling that Mitchell has going on. Check that out. I, I should have done a better job and check that out myself, but we're starting an entertainment wing and that's where you can find this show because sports and entertainment movies, comics, things of that nature, we're kind of diving into that too. So it's not all wrestling over there. Uh, I know you enjoy pot is war. I know you enjoy Ray cash and Christopher Platt, and hopefully you enjoy myself on one of the millions of things I'm doing right now. Uh, you know, cast a big net, right? So, Make sure you go over, check out the entertainment side. There's going to be more writing to come there, too. That's enough of my long-winded promo following Christopher Platt's beautiful promo. And, hey, man, uh, shout
2: out Shout out to Bandwagon Nerds this week. I actually made a run-in on that show, and God. I, I low-key feel fucking bad. Fucking uh, Yeah, I feel bad because you guys know, man, we're friends at this point, man. Y'all know how I am, man. I can't help myself. I, I can't just be invited to dinner i have to unzip my pants and put the nuts up no, my it, nuts it, on the table it, it you know was funny
4: it turned out to be pretty good it was weird because if you listen back to the show Platt, it'll it'll drop uh tomorrow uh, and it, patrick we already had five guys on he's like and it wasn't because he didn't want you to be on the show but he there was too many people already he's like don't rick don't invite Platt. and re- instantly rick picks up his phone and he's calling you and I'm like, and I'm like, I can stop this. And I go to fucking text you and you're already on it. And I'm like, Oh crap. Cause I was going to be like, dude, do not come on this fucking show. And that's the honest to God shoot truth on what happened uh, yesterday as we recorded. So, all right. Tag friendship. There we go. Back to, back to Michael Jordan, the Chicago bulls of 1998. I want to talk about specifically just, Don't go outside of this because we're going to get to that. But apparently Michael Jordan had to have pizza and it it was like, what did they do? Put Visine on it to cause them to shit all night. I mean, like his security told him not to eat the pizza and he ate the whole fucking thing. He didn't let anybody else have a slice and wait two hours. Like they couldn't have walked to a grocery store or a Walmart or a walk through a drive through at McDonald's. Like what was the deal with this?
3: So so hold on. So you know after, every, well, that number one, after on. every Sunday, you know after they the shows go off. If you watch uh, Sports Center with Scott Van Pelt, he has uh, they do like a post show. But also while that's going on, Jalen Jalen Rose and David Jacoby have a post show of their own with the actual director Jason here. want to say it's his name?
2: Yeah, here or here or something like that, yeah. So,
3: here's the 411 about the pizza. Apparently, everybody else already ate before Jordan. And what Jordan would do when that happened, and what he did with the pizza that night was, he was so pissed that people ate without him, Mm -hmm. that when the pizza came, he spit on every slice Mm -hmm. of the pizza, so nobody else would eat any of it. So... (laughs)
4: Like, Do you think any yeah, of those guys dude. that were his security and trainer and all that were scared to eat his spit? Seriously? Yeah. Yeah. Really? You think you're. Not scared of the spit. They,
3: We have talked ad nauseum about how basketball players were scared to take a court with him.
2: Messing with a dude food? Yeah. They were worried about the consequences and repercussions. But yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll keep it right there because we're going to get to the, his relationship with the security guards, but I'll keep it right there. I had heard two schools of thought. I had heard the food poisoning story. I had also heard that he was hungover, which I didn't take a lot of stock in that because how many times, theoretically, was Allen Iverson hungover and dropped 38 on somebody? Like I got to imagine that happened quite a bit. Everybody
3: I mean, in the whole 70s was hungover the entire decade. So, yeah. No, well,
2: no, they was just high the entire decade. It was probably taking bumps in the locker room in the Fair 70s. So yeah, <laughs> That was the 80s. the you know, 70s.
4: Jordan joined the traveling cocaine circus.
2: <laughs> I, I, you brought it up, I have to say this So, you know Amber, my, my significant other She's from no. Peoria, No, who? Yeah, Yeah, Kramer Kreeba, oh, Kreeba, I know Kreeba Yeah, 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 oh, yeah, yeah So yeah, she's yeah. from Peoria,
4: Creeper. Creeper so that
1: first
2: shit. Yeah, creepy is good shit. But she was so excited that they brought up Peoria in the documentary because that's where she's from. And then it just so happens that they were all snorting coke and banging hookers in Peoria. And I said, of course it was in Peoria. Place of Richard Pryor, BT Dub. but, oh, but right. no. So yeah. So but but back to the flu game or the the pizza hangover game or the pizza food poison game. Yo, man, fan is short for fanatic. So is it really that far outside the realm of possibility that people knew what hotel that he was staying at or that the team was staying at? No, but they're
4: like, okay, so all the people that were with him saw five guys show up to deliver this pizza, and Mike was so hungry he had to eat it, right? Like, come on, that's a fucking break. Like, this is this doesn't like (laughs) this doesn't smell right. I don't
3: don't think think it was
4: Yeah, Yeah, I I don't think think he was so
3: hungry he had to eat it. I think he was so pissed that they ate without him that he ate it as a fuck you to the rest of the guys. Give me a
4: break, that's horseshit.
2: I, I don't think and, five guys showed up to deliver the pizza. I think that was hyperbole. Maybe. I'm not gonna lie to you. Let's you know, what, read, Jordan, you know what Jordan
4: looked like? You want to know what Jordan looked like to me?
2: My grandfather,
4: RIP. When they when they do when they do you wrong at a softball tournament and they put the winners bracket early on Sunday morning instead of in the afternoon. And I got to play at eight in the morning. I can still function, but when the ball's not in the air, I'm hungover as fuck. That's all I got to say. Maybe this, this all
3: I know. We talked just two weeks ago about this man making up a story about this poor Ricky in Washington (laughs) to kill him (laughs) the next day. Nothing is beyond (laughs) the realm of possibility for this maniac. I'm just saying, yeah. like, yeah, like,
2: y'all go eat without me, kiss my ass, then. Yeah, y'all can't have my no, pizza.
3: No. It's like Bill Simmons. <laughs> Bill, is, I know, I'm sure you guys have heard Bill Simmons. You've ever heard him talk about the Tyson Zone, where a guy is so ridiculously anything is within, within the realm possibility with his name. If you
4: believe, if yeah, you listen to the,
2: story you hear oh, yeah. about this guy, if you listen to the
4: great. if you listen to the DWI podcast from last week, there's a story going around that Mike Tyson fought a kangaroo for a
2: bag of Doritos. I would not be shocked. I it's don't. possible. You know, the kangaroo had a good jab. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was ludicrous that I was fighting the kangaroo, but they, they wanted me to fight the kangaroo. I would to get his children. I'm going to eat him like a fish. The, the kangaroo was impervious to pain. As I, I, I continued and proceeded to jab and dab and dab. He was impervious. He was absolutely oh. impervious. His defense was impregnable. Hold on. Oh, I saw, no, 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 no. Please. This is what
4: happened. So I showed up and then they gave me a bag of Duido's And the next thing I know, I was in the wing and I was fighting a kangaroo. It was crazy. He almost broke my neck. That would have been spinal.
3: Dog.
2: How did the white guy have the best Tyson impersonation on the on the show, but How did that happen? I'm impressed. I'm mad impressed. <laughs> <It's>, look.
3: <laughs> Shout out to PC Tony, ladies and gentlemen.
2: That was clearly my backhanded way of giving him his props and putting him over. He knows that. anyway what what else you got sonny all
4: right we're good with the flu game we all think that there's a possibility that that may not be the true story but like we said winners write the history let's talk about the indiana pacers before we get to the utah jazz right we're gonna get to the back-to-back years playing the jazz in the finals but most importantly let's talk about the fact that this is a team that actually took the bulls to a game seven Right, I mean, no one did that. No one ever did it in the finals. They did it in the Eastern Conference finals, though. So talk to me how impressive you guys think the Indiana Pacers were, but also the fact that the next year Jordan's gone and they lose to the 8-seed Knicks. I mean, this is an up-and-down weird kind of team, right? And coached by Larry Bird and, and their relationship with Jordan, we see that at the end.
2: I don't put a little a lot of stock into that 1999 season because it was abbreviated because of the lockout That Knicks team, they probably weren't an AFC that year. They only played 50 games, so I don't put a lot of stock into that, you know, to to discount the Pacers. This team was loaded, and I remember watching that series. God's honest truth, I thought that the Pacers were going to beat them that year. They were loaded. I mean, they had Reggie Miller. Rick Smith was a baller. They had the Davis brothers. They had Jalen Rose, who's a very underrated basketball player plus uh, he's a pretty good writer too i actually have his autobiography if you ever get a chance to read it it's an it's a really interesting read jalen rose is a fascinating melon farmer but who who else was on that team was sam, i chris think Mullen. sam perkins was on that team chris mullin was on that team. mark jackson s was on that mark, team. Uh, jackson. On that mark team. jackson mark jackson like this team was loaded and, and they were tough. they were physical george mckee they were tough they were physical they could score and they gave was that, chicago was that, george, a lot of problems was that Aaron mckee how big no, that wasn't Aaron, no, it was, it was Aaron McKee. Aaron McKee is the Sixers, it was small, That, bad. Was, George. that yeah. was George. My bad. No, 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 no. It was Aaron McKee. You're thinking of George McCloud. You're talking about Aaron McKee. It's the, the other Aaron McKee, up. though.
4: It's not the Aaron not, McKee not, from Sixers. No, not the But it is Aaron Philly's. McKee.
2: Yeah, not not yeah, not yeah, Philly Aaron McKee, but Aaron McKee was like a 6'10", uh, small forward. Yeah, he's like That 6'8. had three-point range, and he could... He was a taller guy that had three point range, and he was an inside outside Derek scorer. Derek
3: McKee, it's Derek. Yeah,
2: Derek, Derek McKee. McKee. There we go. Yeah, Derek we're McKee. We're all wrong. Yeah. We're all wrong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but that team—I I said all that to say that team was loaded, and I really thought that they were going to be bulls <laughs> that season. That's all. Uh yeah, Austin Crozier was a rookie that year.
0: <laughs>
4: Ooh, there you go. Look at that. Out of where did Austin Crozier go to go to college? Oh, don't tell me Providence. Man. Ah, there you go. Damn it.
2: Yeah. He was a dog uh, in college. Mm-hmm. Well done. Mm-hmm. He was a dog for like two years in the league. Yeah. He was. He was.
3: Yeah. But no, and that... Go ahead. No, i finish your I just was... I was... Look, I was going to riff about the Pacers, man. Like, the Pacers... It's, it's one of... I think this is probably the greatest... Six out of six is unprecedented. It will never be touched. But the fact that so many potential dynastic teams... Or Hall of Fame players who could have changed their entire narrative, he shut down. Think about it: the le- the the Pacers in '98. What if they, if they would have beat them? Remember, 2000, they're the only team to give Shaq and Kobe a, a series. They took them. To, they took them to six. Everybody else got gentlemen sweep and swept. Like that three-four year run of those Pacers could have been really, really historically great. Jordan shut that down, you know? And I think the, for, for as great as the Pacers are, I think the greatest vision I have of that entire series is, what is it, game three? Or whatever the, whatever the game was, Reggie made the shot. Game four. Reggie made the shot. And, like, I can, I remember where I was when, when he made that shot. And the world's like, up. Reggie did it, but they got time. And Jordan goes from right to left, double teamed, double pumps, hits off the backboard, and the ball swirls in and out. And I love the way he said it in on, in the in the documentary. He said, "For six or seven, for six or seven tenths of a second, everybody was holding their breath because they ain't know." And like, it, it goes to show you, man. Even when you are literally better, th- even be- when you beat the best, and you're better than the best. It might not
2: still be enough. You know, it's it's funny because I remember where I was at that game as well. It was, I think it was Memorial Day. And I was at my cousin Belinda's house with her husband Rob. And the only reason I bring that up is because Rob swears up and down that he played craps with Michael Jordan. And you know, I, I, I obviously I never believed him, but hearing the stories about Slim Boulder and some of these these guys that he was, you know, shooting golf with and stuff like that. He's throwing corners
4: it, it, with the fucking. Security in the locker room wait for the it, game. He had to gamble all the yeah. time, man. It,
3: it the Sandman was the Sandman was at the hot at the hotel after they beat <laughs> the Jazz in
2: '98. Anything is possible with Michael Jordan. Yeah, it, it certainly it suddenly becomes plausible now. And I, I haven't talked to Rob for a while because he's been on vacation for a while now. And you know, I moved out of Cleveland. He was still on vacation. People that if you know, you know, you know, what I'm talking about. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Yeah, but but yeah, suddenly that 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 scenario that he could have been in the hood shooting craps with Michael Jordan somehow seems plausible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I
4: agree. Let's go back to Reggie Miller and the Pacers. I want to give I want I want to sing the praises of Reggie Miller a little bit because they kind of showed the relationship and how it went from, in chronological order, with Reggie Miller and Michael Jordan. And you know Michael had a lot to do with this documentary, and you know that Michael thinks a lot of Reggie Miller. I mean, they're good friends. Like, they respect each other. He respects him more than he respects a lot of people that are Hall of Famers as well, right? Reggie Miller, to me, is a guy who had... You know, no one has the killer instinct that Michael Jordan had, but Reggie... Miller was a killer like Michael Jordan. He just didn't have the physical tools like he did, like Jordan did, to be able to do it consistently to accomplish winning, right? And he might not have been surrounded by as good of a squad as, as Michael was because, I mean, let's face it, Jordan had Rodman and Pippen, right? I mean, two of the most versatile guys ever. Think about it like this. Can you imagine, and people talk about if, if the Bulls could play with the teams of today, Oh, you want to go small lineup for the Bulls? Yeah, let's go small lineup for the Bulls. Uh, Jordan, Harper, Kerr, Pippen, and Rodman. Now what? You're forgetting Tony Kuko, bro. Tony Kuko was a 6'10 and point he was forward. The, and he was the sixth man. So all you do is pop him in and out right there. And if they go big, yep. you go big. They, could, they, they were so versatile. But yep. back to the Pacers. They were well coached, too. That was Larry Bird's best coaching job. He knew Michael Jordan. Absolutely. He knew what to do. He was familiar with the triangle and things of that nature. And if you go on ESPN detail, you'll see Mark Jackson and Dennis Rodman breaking down the triangle and the series of that uh, of that actual series, what happened when they went to game seven. And it's so fascinating to see. Unbelievably, like I knew it, but Dennis Rodman is a motherfucking basketball genius.
2: Oh, yeah. But talking about Reggie, I mean, he spent his entire youth and childhood getting his ass beat by his, by sister. his sister. And yeah. I mean... Well, You you know, I mean, but I said all that to say,
4: Reggie, Reggie came here. I just want to tell you quick that this is a true story and I'm going to, and I'm going to be a little off on the stats, but Reggie, I I know the story. I know
2: exactly the story you about to say, go ahead. Reggie
4: came home one night and they go, how did the game go? And he said, well, I scored 42 points and I hit the game winning shot and and then they go Cheryl and what he goes what happened with you Cheryl or something like that and she goes i scored 116 points <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. it's somewhere in there yeah, somewhere that is yeah. pretty darn close to what actually happened no it, yeah. it, it is i've heard yeah, Cheryl's the, three figures story for sure
2: and Cheryl, she said, "Reggie's all excited. and they didn't want to steal his thunder. and Re- and Cheryl's looking at their dad, and the dad is looking at Cheryl's like, "Well, do we tell him? You know what I mean? But that I, I said all that to be to to say, man, you know, there's a certain level of toughness that comes with that. and you you mentally weren't going to break Reggie. You had to beat Reggie. you know what I mean? he was he was tough. yeah, he was tough. But he learned early on,
4: like almost everybody else, you don't talk shit to Michael Jordan. There was a first half he had where Jordan was playing bad over him and he talked shit. He called him Mike or something like that, or Michael Jordan, he called him, or whatever he called him. And M- Mike didn't like it and he told him in the second half. And Mike had like 30 in the second half and he ended up winning by a ton. So from then on out, he, he either, what did he call him? He called him the black cat, right? He called Jordan. Yeah. Black Jesus or that mm-hmm. black cat? That
2: black cat. Because that's what George said. Yeah, you don't you don't tamper with Black Jesus or, or something to that yep, effect.
4: Yep, there you go. And I was but, saying, but just two things and shit like that. Don't you think that uh, Reggie Miller is pretty high up on Jordan's respect list, though? From what we've seen. Ultimately, yeah,
2: extremely. Oh yeah, no doubt. Yeah, and then I we mean,
4: we forget
3: good. Reggie's the two. They guarded each other all forty plus minutes.
2: Well, I don't know how much time Reggie spent on uh guarding Mike. That's you know, because well, he was gonna guard him, yeah. I'm sure he spent some time, but you know, Derek, McKee, I- I'm-, I'm sure since that we was, know his uh... name. You <laughs> said we don't know his name. No, I McKee. said, Der- I say Derek
4: McKee now, <laughs> since we know his name, <laughs>
3: number nine for the Pacers. In 98. Yes, how about that? Nine. There
2: we go. <laughs> but yeah, no, but they were going hard at each other. And- they pushed them to the limit, and that last team, we're going to get to it here momentarily, but they were running on fubes. They were vulnerable, and the pace is damn near headed.
4: Well, let's get to it because we know Jordan goes on to the finals that year, and and let's talk about the Utah Jazz. I mean, back-to-back, they're the best team in the West. They're probably close to the best team in the league. I, I'm pretty sure they had home court in 98. Did the Bulls have home court in 97?
2: Yes, because I think that first that no. ninety seven. That's the no, one. No, where, I think uh, the Jazz, at
0: the home no, Jazz had home court both years. No, that was home court both. I don't know, know about that. They won that. both. They won Yeah, both the Jazz were a 60,
4: 60 plus win team both years. That's right.
2: Yeah, but I remember Jordan hitting the game winner in that the first game of that series. And I thought that was in Chicago. Man, I, you know, I could be wrong. Maybe PC will actually do some work and look it up. But I don't no, know. No, I don't want
4: to. If you're gonna be, if you might be right, I'm not gonna do
2: it. All right, that's fair. I get that.
3: Oh no, you yeah, know. 97. In the 97 Jazz, the the, 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 Bulls, had the Bulls had the Bulls the They won the championship.
2: Okay. That's what yeah. I thought. Yeah. C-Platt, you were wrong. What are you talking about? I I literally okay. Whatever. I'm not going there. <laughs> this Jazz team is interesting to me though because I. Honestly, I don't think that team was very good. I think that they made it to the finals consecutive years solely based on attrition, because you look at the landscape out west. You know, Houston got old. Uh, the, The Shaq and Kobe Lakers weren't quite ready yet. You know, Phoenix lost Barkley. Sean Kemp found cocaine like there 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 wasn't a whole lot of teams out there that were in a position <laughs> to win at that particular point in time and the reason that they those jazz teams made those how else were... are you
4: supposed to keep up with like 18 kids though <laughs> like him and Patrick <laughs> like <laughs> look at Patrick Ewing and those big nostrils you know that was inhaling a lot I mean he's got like 37 kids that's how you keep up
3: with those kids and let me and let me explain something to you gentlemen as a Houstonian, about this thing, about these Utah Jazz. In the history of the world, when it comes to the basketball teams that play in Houston versus the basketball teams that play in Utah, I don't know if something happened. I don't know what it is. I don't know if God don't like us or what. Houston has always had fucking problems with the Jazz. And in 97 was the year the Rockets were supposed to go to the finals and John in hits that goddamn
2: three. But that's because they were old. And I mean, the reason they made it those was, was good finals. You, no, you were good enough, but you got old. It happens. It happens to all of us. Keep living, you'll get there. <laughs> but, but I John, mean the reason John them was 40 years old when he was 19. So you know. That's yeah. But that that actually brings up my, my, my second point I was gonna make is the reason the jazz teams made those finals that year were because of consistency and durability. And really those are the hallmarks of the Stockton and Malone eras. like with, On their tombstones, that's what it's going to read. They were consistent and they were durable. And there's something to be said for that in life, but that's why. But yeah, I don't think they were great teams because we look back on those series now with rose-colored glasses, but I, I, I lived through them and those games were ugly as work shoes on a Tuesday. Like, they, they talked about it last night on the show. We had 76, you know, 72 games and stuff like that. And, you know, both teams, they were kind of slowed down offenses. But, you know, yeah. that they grinded to a halt, you know, their offenses. I mean, hell, the Jazz scored 54 points in a game, for Christ's sake, in a we'll, finals
4: game. Well, we'll play, play your uh- Playoff basketball was different back then, right? This was a league that could hold teams under 90 points, and that was a really great defensive night. The thing that people don't realize is, and they said it in the documentary, feels like this is the second leading scoring team in the league. Though They like to run. They just played great half-court defense. They were matchup nightmares for everybody. You couldn't guard the pick and roll. The best pick and roll in the history of the NBA, Stockton and Malone. The assists uh, from one side and the points on the other side prove it. Right, you have possibly the greatest distributor, uh, mm-hmm. aside Magic Johnson from for with John Stockton and a matchup nightmare and a guy who could hit a jump shot from anywhere from six to 24 feet. I mean, Carl Malone was one of the top 20 players in the history of the NBA. The guy worked harder than yeah. anybody, he played defense, he ran yeah. the court. Yeah. I don't know, I don't yeah. know. I'm just saying, you tell me who you who's you got Tim Duncan, who's the other better power forward than than. Kevin Garnett,
2: Charles Barkley. The, the only business. thing, I, I will say this I about Carl, man. He kind of kinda, he he kind of ushered in this new era of basketball that we see now about the how these guys four. take the face up four and how these guys take care of themselves and how they constantly stay in shape. And you know, he was one of the first guys that was really on that you know hardcore lifting and, and being in shape all the time. And again, that's why I said earlier, man. The 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 biggest. Hallmarks of those jazz teams were the durability of John Stockton and Karl Malone because they they rarely miss games. I mean, Karl Malone didn't start to break down to that Lakers season. So their their durability and consistency and there is something to be said for that. But yeah, I, I think he rode Stockton's coattails a lot. We right. don't
4: have to we don't have to get well into it, but shout out to Jerry Sloan. Jerry Sloan is a very underrated NBA coach. That guy won a lot of NBA basketball games. True. To Thanks.
3: Axton. Thanks, uh, Darren Williams, for running him away.
4: <laughs> Darren Williams, he, away, he really fell off a cliff at some point in his career, didn't he? Yeah. Good, good. Oh, he's good. He
3: went to Illinois <laughs> and, and he screwed Arizona out of a world championship. Another conversation. Um, shout, I, I'll never say this again in my life because what we know now about carmelo he's not the best person. But shout out to Carl Malone. At
2: all. And you can Google that. He's a piece yes. of shit. Let's just say it. He is. But
3: shout out he's to Carmelo. Malone. Because I appreciate genuine, legitimate sportsmanship, and after every game, and after both championships, he went out of his way to go find not only Michael, but in '98, the whole he went on the bus to shake everybody's hand. That's real shit to me. Like, I, even for however I feel about him as a person, like he has my respect for that for those situations. Because he didn't have to do that. He could have went to the, he could have went home, but he went out of his way to say, "Hey, man, look, you beat I asked good game."
2: I feel like that was a veiled shot at Isaiah, by extension. That's a veiled no,
3: shot. it wasn't. Shot. I in, see, I, I don't <laughs> think about Isaiah in
2: my daily life. So I apologize. <laughs> but, you know, it could be. It, it, it was. I love you, though.
4: All right, gentlemen, let's move on. Any 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 last thoughts about the Utah Jazz and how everything went down? I mean, Jordan hits the last sec. First, first he hits the assist to Kerr in uh, The first series, then the next series, he he gets the game-winning shot, walks it off, leaves it hanging. I mean,
2: uh, again, man, it's a testament to the greatness of Jordan because that team was ripe for the picking. They were running on fumes by that time, but and Utah couldn't get it done. It and hard. you saw, you saw who carmelone was. Like, how do you not feel Michael flipping Jordan coming from behind you to strip you of the basketball? How do you not feel well, that?
3: Well, I don't know if it was in '97 or '98 when Pippen walked up to him and said, "The mailman doesn't deliver on Sundays," and he
4: missed the two free throws. Like Karl Malone was made a do you remember Do you remember how long it took Karl Malone to shoot a free throw? He would say some little stupid fucking thing for like eight seconds and flip the ball ten times, and everybody was guessing what he was saying. I
3: remember watching Utah play Seattle one year, and Seattle like you have so many seconds, I guess by the bylaws to shoot free throws and they would have a shot clock when he was shooting the free throws I think it got to 17 seconds at one point like it was ridiculous
2: I, I'm not going to say anything because if I say something man it's going to be a, a negative towards Karl Malone so and not basketball related so yeah I'm I'm not going to say anything
3: All right, PC Tony ladies and gentlemen <laughs> wait wait what <laughs> that's
2: Christopher Blatt <laughs> <laughs> I'm, 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 he, please. yeah he was he was playing yawn, you, you just missed your cue <laughs> i
4: understand but i don't want to get people to, i got oh no i got it i got it i don't want the people to get confused though like you know <laughs> you can go there if you want i don't want anything to do with it i was just talking about yeah, the basketball player Okay, hey, we got Del much more to talk about i got no right. yeah. controversy on my back <laughs> yeah all right I want to, before, before we get to the last question of the evening, which I think we're really going to dig into, um, I do want to talk about, and, and, and Ray brought this up. It, it kind of slipped past me. I figured we would have probably hit it at some point, but it's a really important part of what happens with Michael Jordan and, and inside of his life. And we talked a lot about his security, right? And we talked a lot about how these are guys that really, they really liked Michael and he really treated them well. You know, Mm -hmm. they were really important to him. And none of them was more important than Gus, his head of security. And the things that Gus would end up going through uh, after being there for Mike and Mike would turn around and be back, you know, right there at his side for him, Ray, was pretty amazing if you think about it and the relationship they had.
3: Uh, You know, when you're as popular and as, quite frankly, untouchable as Michael Jordan, you can't really have friends like you can't go to your homeboy house you know you can't meet you can't meet with the clique at Starbucks and get some coffee you can't really do that so it turned out that his security ended up being his not only entourage but his friends and by all stretches by all accounts they were solid dudes but Gus man Gus was his guy and so much Gus was older than my Gus Gus was uh, older cat so much to the point where, when Michael's dad died, that became like his surrogate father. And like, uh, I, it was it's really really a kind of a beautiful story, sad but beautiful. But uh, Gus's wife was talking on the documentary about how, who would call Gus two three in the morning crying, and Gus would leave the house and go find the dude. Like that's another level of close, man. And when Gus, uh, Gus, um. Eventually, ended up having lung cancer. Michael was the one who noticed he was sick. Gus didn't even notice. Michael knew him that well to know something was wrong. Michael paid for every bill. Michael was at every hospital visit. Michael was at his house helping take care of him. Like that's real love. And um, in Game Seven for the Pacers, they brought back Gus, that was his ace in the hole. But not only I wanted to give that respect because you know, it's a it's a beautiful story, but you know uh we we've we've made the joke in the statement multiple times in the show in this episode that to the victory goes the spoils, and the history is told by the winners and that's very true, but I think history has looked on Michael Jordan and of course it's always gonna look number one as possibly the greatest winner in American sports history at least modern American sports history, but he's almost looked at it as much, as a bit of a competitive bully and a gambling addict and um a bit of a rough around the edges guy on the court around his teammates and maybe a, a charmer, but maybe a bit duplicitous in like, in the way he treated his business affairs and his personal affairs and things of all that nature. You, you can say this, that and the other, but it's important to see the whole story and the stories like this one. And, the, and, and, and like all the people that he's befriended over the years. And these are the things that to me need to be shown because, we forget, and this is going to sound asinine as fuck, but you understand what I'm saying, we really forget that dude was a human fucking being. He was so otherworldly in his play, and he was so otherworldly in the way he acted, and he was so otherworldly in his following, and quite frankly so otherworldly in the way he handled his fame, that you almost forget about the human side of him, and to think about the fact that he was so affected by his father's death years later that he would call his head of security at two in the morning to cry, like that makes you rethink a lot about the guy. At least it makes me think rethink a lot about the guy. And you know, you saw him break down at the end of episode seven about looked at about how he was looked at as a teammate and how he felt about winning and, and things of that nature. It really makes you wonder, kind of the measure of the man. And do we really do we really know? And these stories make me question that, and make me think
2: differently. Well, we really don't know, and I'm I'm gonna save that because I have a rant coming up for the uh, for the last topic in regards to that. Do we really know him? But you, both of you gentlemen, alluded to it at the start of this broadcast. Is that it's not easy to be Michael Jordan, and there are certain things that you know we're ordinary citizens there's certain things that I think we take for granted like think about it man it's not like michael jordan can just randomly at 11:45 at night run to walmart's real quick to grab some toilet paper and a bottle of wine and some cookie dough like he can't do that like he's so insulated within his 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 own bubble and he has to be that way because everybody just goes cuckoo for cocoa puffs whenever they see him to the point where the security that was around him they did become his friends because ultimately we all thrive, and we all need human interaction. That's another paper and another uh, discussion we could have about how this quarantine is affecting us as people, but that's, I, we're not going there right now. That's the here over there. But yeah, just because those were the only people that were next to him, yeah, they did become his friends and his, his surrogate family to a certain degree because of just the level of fame that he had achieved, and I think it's fascinating. And this Gus story... It, it, it was needed, especially coming off some of the other episodes, it, it was needed, you know, just from a documentary aspect and a story aspect to really humanize Michael Jordan. And like you said, Ray, to bring back and to drive home the point that, okay, yeah, he he might be this, this, that, and the third, but at the end of the day, he's also a human being. Yeah. Yeah. All right, John. And oh, shout out shout, shout out to Gus's wife as well, who is uh, well preserved and still a beautiful woman. I still I just oh. had to give her her props. She was beautiful. Well, hell, Dolores look good. Oh, his his daughter? His mom. Oh, yeah, Dolores still looks amazing. Yeah, she yeah, she still looks amazing. Sure. Yeah. Shout out like, to her as well. Yeah. don't crack, but money don't either, dog.
4: But clearly yeah. Platt noticed who Jordan's should. daughter too.
3: Well, let's not go there. <laughs> one, more shout, one more shout out, PC. Shout out to finally get Jordan's sons on the show in the last episode, like thirty minutes in, for like two minutes.
2: Yeah, Just that, to make sure was, you knew yeah. he had kids. <laughs> that 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 was weird too. And I mean, I, it can't be easy to be Michael Jordan's kid. So I'm sure there's some there's some friction there i'm not Uh, saying i'm just
3: saying look at it this way though too for life and 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 an unlimited check please i'm sorry go ahead
4: (laughs) look at it this way too as much as jordan struggled with being famous and knew the consequences and the things that were taken away from you for being like that why would he have he probably tried to keep his kids out of that as much as possible as well to me the whole kind of thing about him you know needing gus and things of that nature is i feel like he still always was Mike Mike Jordan to his mom and dad, right? Like I think he really had a strong tie with his family. I think he oh, yeah. you know, regardless of what happens, you know, uh, outside of that and when he's traveling around or whatever kind of things you want to fault him for, I still think he had a very strong bond with his family. So that's my kind of last takeaway there. He he's always said he always said his dad was his best friend. So right.
3: And and have you noticed and maybe this is just something I I I'm picking up on from the documentary, but it's I'm a psychology major, so I'm kind of taught to look for the reasoning behind the most mundane of actions or thought processes or situations. He really had a connection with older men. It's like he was almost looking for another one. And you know, his brothers were a little older than him. He was like one of the if he wasn't the youngest kid, he was one of the younger kids. It almost felt like, especially after his dad died, he was looking for that void in his life to fill it all the money all the winning can't fill that void
4: and and phil was kind of the perfect coach too in that sense as well where you know he wasn't just going to give it to him he always supported him but he wasn't just going to give it to him right so let's let's get to the last topic here and it's it's a big one and it's kind of what everybody thinks about you know granted he went away in 94 95 uh, for you know in the middle for two years but the other big if is why didn't they bring back everybody one more time they kept winning and, and Jordan said that's always been his biggest problem he's had is the fact that he never got to run it back right like winners yeah. keep the court like man I played so many pickup games at the Y with so many cool people and it was you know you try your hardest then because you want to keep playing right And then eventually you've you've won four or five and you're tired and you're ready to go and you kind of shoot a bunch of really deep shots to kind of lose that last game. But that's just why ball, okay? We're not talking about Michael Jordan. So, gentlemen, the big question of the night. And Jerry Reinsdorf kind of came on and said that he had asked Phil last second then if he would come back and coach the team next year. But clearly Phil was already done and and felt accomplished. But if this team had been brought back together for – the strike-shortened season, which I think would have benefited an aging Bulls team. Absolutely. And you talk about who was coming out of the East at that point was the New York Knicks. Remember what seed the Knicks were. Do you, do you think, though, well, the Bulls would have probably been an interesting, different kind of seed that year, possibly? But, what I'm saying is the Knicks was the eighth seed. Oh, I know. I'm aware of that. I'm just saying. So I'm saying
3: like, anything that was possible. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry.
4: But do you think they could have won that seventh championship?
2: I don't know. And, well, number one, let me double back to something you said. You brought up Reinsdorf. And I don't like how Reinsdorf has gone unscathed throughout this whole thing. And he's tried to absolve himself from the decisions that were made. It's really easy to pick on the dead guy because he's not here to defend himself. But at the end of the day, man, it's your team. You own the team. You could have sat them both down. You could have sat Phil, Mike, and Jerry down and said, yo, this is how it's going to go. We're going to work this out, and we're going to make this happen. Do you think Reinsdorf was just
4: kind of like oblivious to everything or that his strategy was to pit everybody against each other? Because that's pretty much what it seemed like. The way he would go behind, the way he would support Jerry Krause and then go behind his back and tell Phil you could have another year and things of that nature. And then let Jerry Krause go away and scout Tony Kukoc and things of that nature, and not defend it against the team. Do, do uh, you want to know? go ahead, Ray? I'll, I'm sorry, real
3: quick. I think that everything was what Jerry Reisdorf did, and that Jerry Krause just took kind of the kind of took the blame for a lot of it. The reason I th- I said that is I was talking to a homeboy about this the other day, and he made me think something that I never it never crossed my mind. You're dealing with Michael Jordan. You're dealing with Phil Jackson, you're dealing with Scottie Pippen, and at various points you're either dealing with Horace Grant or you're dealing with Dennis Rodman. You're dealing with three of the 20, 30 best players in the league at various times, and don't in the last three years, right? If Jerry Krause was really this much of a, let's say, a cancer or a detriment to the morale of the team and the payment and, and Scottie get, not getting paid and all these issues they had with him, why didn't you just
4: fire him? Because Jerry well, Krause were... was the best general manager around. I mean, he's a Hall of Famer. He should have went into the Hall of Fame before he even died. I mean, even Scottie Pippen at the end acknowledges Jerry Krause is one of the best general managers, right? I think the biggest problem, like Platt said, is Reinsdorf. He pitted everybody against each other. Now, to Jerry Krause's problem is he couldn't just give the players their props. He had to say that he was the reason they were all together. Right, yeah. and I think that's a big thing. Is he wasn't there to bring in Jordan, and if you're gonna go ahead and say, you know, uh, we have a great organization and everything else, and not give the guys who have give their blood, sweat, and tears 24 hours a day for you know 285 days a year in the basketball world, like you have to put your players first and let them praise the organization. Bob Costas said it best. Jerry Krause couldn't get out of his own way, it, or or Jackie McMullen said it. Um, yeah. Why don't you just let the players tell everybody how good you are instead of telling all everybody how great the organization is?
2: I, I think that they were more in tune, and when I say they, I mean Reinsdorf and Krauss. I think they were mm-hmm. more in tune than this documentary is leading on. And the bottom line is, I think both of them they were they were tired of Jordan Phil shit. You know, whether whether good or bad, right or wrong, I think they were tired of their shit, and they both everybody had egos involved, so you're dealing with Krause, who hasn't, you can look at Krause and see everything that he's about, he's got a chip on his shoulder, extremely bright extremely intelligent and capable man, but you could just look at him and tell that he's got a chip on his shoulder, he probably got picked on as a kid, probably was made to eat dirt, and got his ass beat a little bit you can see that, you you literally can see everything that you need to know about Jerry Krause by looking at him R.I.P, not trying to shit on the dead, but I think that him and Reinsdorf, I think they were closer than, you know, than Phil or Mike or anything like that and I think that both of them relished the challenge to try to prove that it really was the organization and not necessarily the players Krauss does deserve his props I mean but in his head he's also thinking and in Reinsdorf's head we drafted the greatest player of all time we surrounded him with you know Hall of Fame caliber talent and coaches but at the same time everybody has egos here so, you know, from a management standpoint, you're, you're dealing with Michael's ego. You're dealing with Phil's ego. You got the circus that's Dennis Rodman. You got Pippen shit. And they probably were tired of dealing with all of that and wanted to prove that they can do it without them. Obviously, history points out that they couldn't. But I, I understand. It doesn't excuse it because these guys had earned the right to come back and try to defend their title. But yeah. at the same point in time. Like let's keep it a buck. And again, man, like I talked about in that Utah series, man, we're looking at this through rose-colored glasses and whatnot. But let let's let's keep it a buck. Pippen was washed. Rodman was washed. And you know that that I don't know if that team could have assembled as is, could have came back and defended their title. Like, they were done at the time of that. Jordan was mentally exhausted and physically. I don't know. So I could have seen a scenario where maybe you go talk to Mike as as Reinsdorf and say, hey, you know, maybe we can keep Phil, maybe we can keep you, we'll rebuild, and then maybe we can come back and get another run. But they clearly needed an infusion of talent into that team because that team was on its last legs during this, this last run. And, and Platt kind of hit my...
3: Point I was making about Bryansdorf and Krauss in that Krauss, yeah, I don't I don't mean to 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 you know to kind of take away from anything Krauss did. By all means, he's one of the best or at least the better general managers in basketball history. But what I mean is we know history shows us that players win championships, right? So if you have the best player in the league and you have, who at the time may be, if not the best, the winningest coach in the league, if the issue... You can get another general manager, right? And you might not get another Jerry Krause, but you got Michael Jordan just working around him. He very clearly chose Krause because he, I, I think, he was making Krause or pushing Krause or in lockstep with Krause at every juncture. And it was, as you mentioned, Chris, the organization and org- Go ahead. I'm sorry.
4: No, no, go ahead. Finish.
3: Um, or a, a lot of the times we see a situation like this in, in, in sports. Jerry Jones and Al Davis are two of probably the most um, mm-hmm. popular versions of this. A lot of the times, the organizations, when they win, can get a little cocky and think that they can do it on their own and they can. You know, uh what's the what's the verse that Jay Z said in Lost Ones? I hear motherfuckers Hello. saying they made hove. Made hove say, okay, so make another hove. Literally, that's what that's what a lot of teams and owners will try to do, right? With and so they were like, Look, and, and the way Jerry Krause said it was so gangster, but yet so disrespectful. Look, we want Michael to stay, but if Michael can't handle a new coach, then he gotta find a new team. What? Michael Jordan?
2: Yeah, it, it turned into a four-way dick-swinging contest, and at the end no. of the day, the Reinsdorf was, was the checks.
4: Yeah, Reinsdorf is the villain here, and Jerry Krause yeah. is the foil, and this is why. Because Jerry Krause never wanted to move on from Michael Jordan. We heard it many times. He wanted to rebuild with Michael Jordan. He wanted to trade Scottie Pippen to the Toronto Raptors for Tracy McGrady. That's what he wanted to do for 1999. That's what he wanted to do, right? Jerry Reinsdorf is the one that is the guy who is totally the villain because Kraus says to Phil Jackson, you can win 82 games and you're not coming back. Reinsdorf lets that happen. There's no way in hell. Yeah. There's no way in hell this team stays together after that happens, right? If they would have stayed together, though, Jordan said I would have signed a one-year contract. I could have got yeah. Rodman to sign a one-year contract. Of course, he, he, got, he got Rodman to fucking play for three years and be effective for 3 full seasons. Look what happened before that. And I what happened with I don't even remember. Did Rodman play again after that season? Did he retire? He was released. He Where did he go? He played 25
3: more games. He went to LA the next year yeah. for like maybe 20 games and then signed with Dallas the next year for like 10.
4: Right. He played so, maybe
3: like 25 30 games after 98. So you but can see that
4: game. you can see that if Dennis was invested with the with the people he had, he needed an Isaiah he needed a mic; otherwise, he was not invested, right? Those are only yeah. he needed Hall of Fame, legendary status people to get him to do what he did. He needed to be important Ed to coach. him, and even at that times, like you said, to start the show, he needed to go bash GDP over the back with a chair. So, <laughs> you know, I, I firmly believe that they would have won the next year. I think they could have found a way. I think Phil was just so smart, and he went on to prove it again with the Lakers very shortly afterwards. And then again, but Jordan said I could have got Rodman, and Scotty would have come back for that. Scotty wouldn't have missed out on that. There's no way, but that's my opinion on it. Um, I, I can't believe we've covered this whole thing, guys. Yeah, yeah. I,
3: it's it's crazy, and I'm just to put a bow on that. Like, go back and look at the teams that made the uh Eastern Conference playoffs in 99 like they very clearly could have made it if they would have just kept the core or something
4: but uh what would that have what would that what would that here last thing then on this topic what would that matchup have looked like against the 99 Spurs you had Avery Johnson you had Sean Elliott you had Tim Duncan you had David Robinson I mean this is a team that was very solid front court they had a point guard that could <laughs> distribute. They had an excellent shooter in Sean Elliott. I can't remember who the other guards they had, but they couldn't Vinny have been Del bad. Negro. Vinny Del Negro, best inbounder in NBA history. <laughs> yeah. They Speaking
3: of inbounder, they had the guy who got the inbound, who got the shot, uh, the rifleman Chuck Person was on that so, team. Did they have Robert so Roy was. at that point?
2: No, no he was, or, uh, he was in yet. Houston still. okay later no, he, on was in, he was in Phoenix. He Phoenix, in Phoenix, ah, baby did they trade him for Barkley? Is he, was he part of that trade? He was him and Sam Cassell were the two main pieces in the Barkley trade. Oh, and love, him and Sam Cassell. Uh, Adam Simmons, I think, or
3: whoever the coach was, couldn't get along. So he left there and went. Um, he ended up going to L.A. and did the three in L.A. Then after that, he finished in San Antonio.
2: Yeah, I, I don't think it was a, a Dundee that they would have won that year. Like I talked about, the you know, the core, the nucleus of that team was washed. Jordan was physically exhausted. And the lockout, I, I think the lockout is the reason why Krause and Reinsdorf don't get as much flack as they That's- should. Because everybody was so worried about the lockout. And then it's like, okay, now we, we got to have a season. You know what I mean? But... I don't think it was a guarantee. If they ran into that San Antonio team, I mean, who was gonna guard Robinson and Duncan? That was a very that was a very opposing duo, and the Bulls had never seen anything like that in their entire run. And plus, it's just hard to do what they did. I don't think people understand how hard it is to do what they did. Yeah, yeah I mean, you know.
4: I think that here's one thing I didn't mention is, and we're not talking about is Jordan would have missed even part of that 50 game season because of the cigar cutting incident where he fucked up his finger. In addition, I feel like now remembering that point, I feel like that would have given Tony Kukoc an ability to advance his game. Jordan could have played not all, not only off of Pippin but Kukoc as well. If you have two Pippins on the court with Jordan, that that's insane, right there.
2: I, and my thing is, from a financial standpoint, why would you put a halt to the gravy trade just because, you know, you got into a dick-swinging contest with some people? I mean, just from a money-wise, you're in this to make money. And, I mean, you got Michael Jordan on your squad, so why would you not acquiesce to him to a certain level? And and also, the league was different back then. The league has always been player-oriented, but, you know, back then, the players didn't have the same type of clout and leverage that they have nowadays. So there there there's that. I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into this situation, but the, the the bottom line is they deserve to come back and try to defend their title until they got knocked off the hill. That's the bottom line.
4: All right, gentlemen. I'm going to do one more break here and we're going to come back and put a pretty little bow on something that we've all enjoyed so very much. I I just want to say before we go to break, I will I will always have the recording of these uh, five episodes we just did covering this, and I'm so glad that uh, Ray, you came in uh, and and got in with the last three. This is this has been uh, one of the funnest things I've done in podcasting. And I've done over 500 podcasts, <laughs> and I, I just really enjoyed it with both of you guys, especially. And I hope, if anything, people have seen uh, the three of us have such a significant love for the NBA. So we'll be right back, folks we'll put a bow on this thing that we've enjoyed oh so
0: much this is your boy Kenny Killer telling you to make sure you check out thechairshot.com bringing you breaking news interviews podcasts galore everything progressing. make sure you check it out thechairshot.com
3: thechairshot.com always use your head
2: I didn't realize he was throwing to me, but again, make sure you guys use your head and go to prowrestlingtees.com forward slash the chair shot and pick up an official chair shot t-shirt. Again, if you enjoy the content that we provide day in and day out, show us some love and make sure we can keep providing that content by going to prowrestlingtees.com forward slash the chair shot. Please and thank you, thank you, and please Tony, uh, you know, I couldn't have said it better myself, brother. I, You know, this has been one of my most fun experiences podcasting. I've really enjoyed this. I've really enjoyed breaking down this series and chopping it up with you gentlemen. And, I'm, you know, I'm sad that it's over. I, I will let the people know. Stay tuned. You know, there may or may not be something percolating in the pipeline. And I'll, I'll say stay tuned to that. But, um, yeah, this has been fun. This series has been great. And one thing that you have to keep in mind is that, this series doesn't get made without the approval and permission of Michael Jordan because they've been sitting on this footage for damn near 20 years. So not only was it his thumbs up to, okay, let's do something with this, but also uh, he had creative control to a certain degree, and he had first rights of refusal, man, when it came to the editing process. So it wasn't going to be an expose or a hit piece on Michael Jordan. And I'm not saying that it needed to be, but there were certain things that they were going to gloss over just because of the limitations that they had. And and there was a lot of chiefs in the kitchen here. I think Netflix got a, a stake in this, ESPN, the NBA, Michael Jordan. A lot of cooks in the kitchen. And the fact that they were able to put this together and it came out as well as it did, trying to adhere to all these different entities, it's very impressive. And this is one of the best docuseries that I've ever seen. But you have to remember, again, It wasn't going to be a hit piece. So one of the things that I've tried to do during these episodes is try to bring up, you know, the other side of certain things to try to bring a little brevity to the situation and a little balance. And I hope that you all have enjoyed that. I hope that I've been able to do that intelligently and coherently throughout the alcohol and whatnot. And really, I hope you guys had as much fun listening to this as we did doing this. Even though I think that that's virtually impossible. How do I <laughs> say
3: goodbye? No, okay. Um, to back. Keep, to keep going. No, keep say. going. <laughs> to what? Um, I, I do want to say about the actual documentary as a whole. This is important for us to note because. I don't think it was as publicized as it should have been. The documentary wasn't supposed to come out until after the finals. They rushed the production to finish it because of COVID and because they knew that ESPN had no content. They had so little content they were showing WrestleManias on Sundays. You know? So, shout out to Jason here, whatever his name is. I apologize for, for butchering it if I did. For not only being able... To up the timeline, but like he was finishing seven and eight and nine and ten as we were watching one and two and three and four. Mm-hmm. That is amazing. And for it to literally be one of the very best documentaries that we've ever seen, not just from a sports standpoint, but from a documentary standpoint. And the my God, the pressure. Not only the pressure of being basically the only game in town, not only the pressure of being seen by Millions and millions of people more than usual because of the lack of content and because ESPN is owned by Disney, who owns ABC. So this is also not only being shown on ESPN, but it's on Good Morning America every morning, right? Not only that, but this is the legacy in the life and career of the greatest winner of our generation, but one of the quietest and as was mentioned earlier since he's retired, one of the most reclusive people in the business you don't get interviews with Michael Jordan. You just don't. So to get him to open up about things, to get the man to, not like he made him or he forced him or asked him to, but to get the man to cry on live TV, you know, on TV, on camera, to get the man to talk about some of the most controversial situations about his career and life, talk about his father's death, to talk about the, the possibility or the idea or the controversy that um, that he possibly could have been suspended from the NBA for gambling. Talk about the slim boulders, and to talk about the gusts and the, uh, I, you know, the 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 shrug. Uh, I can't remember my my guy's name, but the oh, guard who him in the quarter. No, the guy in in the quarters. My albino dude.
2: Oh, the albino um, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the yeah. white afro. Yeah.
3: Yeah. You know all the things he he really touched on and. You're absolutely right that this was never going to be a hit piece, nor should it have been, and it was never going to be completely adverse to Michael Jordan. By and large, this was as fair as I think we'll ever get, and I am so thankful and appreciative as a basketball fan, as, uh, a, as a guy who watched this live, and as a guy who appreciated Jordan, but wasn't the biggest Jordan fan? Like I have a whole new respect and appreciation for the guy, and for everybody involved. And it's 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 truly been an honor and a pleasure to have. And this is like fucking entertainment. Literally, it's been an honor to watch this shit. And that I know Lance Armstrong's Thirty for Thirty comes on this Sunday, and that's a hell of a story to tell, bruh. Like. You know, what, what, Nelson. What, right? Well, thank you. What did your boy Punk say when he was talking to uh to The Rock? Your arms too short to box with God? Like, the Lance Armstrong story ain't enough to stick up with ten episodes, five weeks of Michael fucking
4: Jordan. No, but it's a healthy rinse in between that and Bruce Lee.
2: Uh, I can't wait to see that Bruce Lee joint.
4: We got Lance this
3: week. And I don't know if we have Bruce Lee the week after that or not, but we have the two episodes of the long summer, the summer of the steroid summer between uh, Mark McGrath McGuire, no, Mark yeah, McGrath, right? Mark yeah. McGuire and uh, and albino semi-selves. Well, semi I, was, I, like was I a just play, brought play. That, I
4: brought that up when I left work today. I was like, <laughs> I, seriously, this is what I said to my buddy, the general. I I looked at him and uh, we were talking about. Uh, Will Perdue, this morning on Get Up? He, he's, he finished his interview with Mike Greenberg with, I don't know what I'm going to watch next Sunday. And uh, Greenberg instantly goes into an ESPN promo. Well, we got the Lance Armstrong thing, blah, 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 blah. So we're talking about it at work. And I'm like, yeah, then we got that. We got Bruce Lee. We got McGuire and Sosa. And I looked at it, and I'm like, I can't believe it right now. It's like crazy. Like, Sammy Sosa is whiter than I am.
2: Yeah. Yeah. that <laughs> says something. You're from Wisconsin. Have you guys ever watched the, sh- the TV show Atlanta on FX? Teddy Perkins.
3: He looks <laughs> just like Teddy Perkins. And, PC, I know you You might not know what I'm talking about. Just Google Teddy Perkins.
4: I have an idea. Almost,
3: it's it, No, you don't. Okay. Like, watch the episode. You ain't even got to watch the show. Just watch the standalone episode. It is the most. That and Lil Dicky's episode of Jail, the last, the, the last episode, of his se- season this year are the two biggest mind fuck episodes of television I've ever seen in my life. So, yeah, that, there you go. One of the booking with Michael Jordan, and then we end up talking about Teddy Perkins and Bill Dickey. There you go.
2: <laughs> hey, man, on the short end of the sports documentaries, and this is literally off the top of my head, I hadn't even thought about this. I would put um, We Were Kings. Okay. Uh, Hoop Dreams.
3: Okay. The, Hoop Dreams. Uh, no
2: yeah the o j documentary that was a thirty for thirty eight part series and and this and uh, you know if i if I thought about it I could probably come up with a fifth but just as of right now I would put those four just off the top of my head
3: the andre doc, the andre bio was excellent and I know we're wrestling guys and I don't want to always just talk wrestling, but Bill Simmons did his thing on that andre the Giant documentary that was so illuminating and just If for a guy who was born in eighty eight and missed pretty much all of Andre's in ring career, like to really get a chance to see that, almost like a kid who was born in the nineties who missed all of Jordan, you know, like it's such a wonderful way to kind of catch you up to the rest of the world and explain a true life phenomenon. Like you if 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 we watch the supernova explode it's impossible to describe unless you saw it, right? That's literally what guys like Andre the Giant and Michael Jordan were. And these documentaries have almost accurately described a supernova exploding.
4: Those are, those are great last words there from Ray Cash. I just want to say something briefly. Uh, Babe Ruth, Muhammad Ali, Tiger Woods, LeBron James are the only four people that I can think of that even come close to what Jordan has accomplished and as a global icon as well. I enjoyed this series so much. I live 90 miles North of Chicago and I was such a big Bulls fan. I can show you a picture with me with Bulls Zubas and a Jordan (laughs) shirt and the Bulls hat with the leather brim and just like, I love Jordan. I love watching him every Sunday and I think the only other person that I can compare in my lifetime looking forward to watching is Tiger Woods. The, The two of them I couldn't miss, no matter where I was in my life. They just meant so much to me, especially since I have such a big love for basketball and for golf. And a lot of that is driven by the two of those guys. And regardless, everybody's human. Everybody has flaws. You know, some you judge bigger than others, which, you know, Judge not lest ye be judged. These guys are human, like you guys have said. And I want to I wanna just thank Michael Jordan because I was just intrigued with how great he was and how much he put everything he had into what he was doing. And that's my biggest takeaway. Um, and I'm really glad we did this. Platt, do what you do and uh, put the final ribbon on and take us home. Give me, my
3: ten, give me my 10-part Tiger Woods documentary next, ESPN. I'll take
2: that. Uh, Second and man. the Slim Boulder, but we'll get to that. But Bro. No, all, all, all jokes aside, no, there will be no <laughs> Slim Boulder slander on these airwaves, sir. But no, all, all jokes aside, man, you know, Tony, I, I got to put you over, man. I, you know, you, you're my brother. I love you. And I threw out the plaque signal because I, I was so excited after watching episodes one and two. Of This docu-series and I I threw it out there to Tony. I was like, Hey man, let's do something. Let's talk about this. You know, we were both basketball heads. We knew that going in and you know, I said, I, and I knew he watched it. I said, Hey man, let's, let's do something. And he was there. It, It wasn't even a hesitation. It wasn't even a question. He was right there spot on the money we picked up my brother Way Cash during this this ride but uh, again man all this and all this love and respect that goes to pc tunning man you're the guy you're recording this you come Great. up with topics that you know to kind of keep us on track when we fall off track you 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 get us back on the rails
3: and, and we're quite tangential
2: so yes. that's hard and none of this happens without you man so seriously man thank you for answering the pledge signal I've had such fun with both of you guys doing this. And again, I, I hope that that fun comes through to the four or five listeners that we have listening to this stuff, man. But seriously, man, none of this happens without you, man. And, and, and thank you. And I, you know, I, I, I bury you on all the shows that we're on. Cause that's just what bros do. We bury each other. But, but seriously, man, there's, I'm there. There is no Christopher Platt without PC Tunney, man. Like you make me look a lot better than I actually am. And you you smooth over the rough, rough surfaces. You're there. You let me riff and whatever. You just let me go off and do whatever the hell I do, man. But I, I just want to let you know, man, that I love you and you you are appreciated, man, in this whole podcast journey. Seriously, you even got me back in the game when I was out of it. So yeah, I, I just want to let you know how much I appreciate you, man. Seriously, we started,
4: we we started, and we'll finish with a tear in our eye. <laughs> so beautiful. Feelings, feelings feelings mutual. CP. Hey
2: man, before we get out of here, man, let's go around the horn. Ray, we'll start with you, man. Let the good folks know where they can find you.
3: I'm at it's Ray Cash, R E Y as in Mysterio, C A S H as in dollars. I nailed it. Boom. Uh outsider's Edge CS on Twitter uh, I'm always lurking come yeah yep yeah. boom Adam Cole. Um, and if I may, please, please lift up if you're a prayer man, lift up shad Gaspard in, in your prayers. If you're not a prayer man, yeah. throw some good vibes to him. just keep yeah. him on your mind. come home, shad, please let's I hope that God he's found today. Uh, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm on Twitter, you can always find me um, podcasting uh doing hood rat stuff for my hood rat friends and uh yeah I'm around
2: yeah Thank I you. literally I, no it's our pleasure man but I literally saw that Shad Gaspar story while we were recording like Amber literally just came in and brought that to my attention I didn't even know that, that was a what your thing. face
3: was that was a face yes. you made yes
2: okay. yeah like he's missing and I I had the uh the great pleasure to run into Shad and and chop it up with him and JTG outside of Wale Mania in, in Orlando cool dude man really cool dude and yeah if if you you know prayers go up if you're not a prayer just yeah like ray said just send some positive vibes his way man uh mr tandy where can they find you sir
4: yeah uh my thoughts and prayers are are going to be with uh shad's friends and family it's not the situation doesn't look great as we speak so yeah. um you know we're we're going to we're going to do a lot more to uh Retrospectively, look back and and unfortunately, the the circumstances that happened there. But you can find me at PC Tunny. um I'm all over the Chairshot.com. Just go to the Chairshot.com if you're going to do anything. And uh you know, once again, much love and 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 hopefully peace and everything else to the family of Shad Gaspard.
2: Yeah, well said, man. And I second both of these gentlemen's thoughts. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at The Real Seat Plat. You can find me on The Chair Shot and in several shows um, around the blocks with Mike Knox. That's going to be going up here shortly, hopefully. Uh, you can find uh, PC and I on Pod Is War every Thursday on TheChairShot.com with our, our co host, Andrew Bellas. You can find Mr. Bray Cash on Outsider's Edge. You can find Tony on DWI and Bandwagon Nerds. I made a run in this week, so make sure y'all check that out. And again, man, if you guys enjoyed what we did here, Show us some love, man. Make sure we can keep bringing you this fire-ass content that we bring day in and day out by going to prowrestlingtees.com forward slash the share shut. We've got a t-shirt for... Everybody, we've got the Gs did the job. We've got Save Tag Team Wrestling. King Baron Corbin sucks. The latest and greatest in sensation that's sweeping the nation: the hashtag journalism, which is the one I love. If you want to rebel against the uh, yellow journalism in the wrestling community, what better way to do that? I mean, nothing says revolution like a good old fashioned dose of capitalism. By going to prowrestletees.com forward slash d chair shop. please and thank you, thank you, and please, gentlemen. I love you both. Seriously. That's a shoot. This has been an honor, privilege, and a pleasure to be able to do this with both you gentlemen. Thank you both so much, man, for letting me your ears and your time. I appreciate it. And what I can say to the listeners is, is this the end? Question mark? Dot, dot, dot. Stay
4: tuned. Next Stay thing tuned. I know, next thing I know, I get a bag of Duitos, and it's me and my tiger against Michael Jordan and a kangaroo <laughs> in basketball. <laughs> Ha, <laughs> Why did I let you say anything after this podcast?